podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome back to a Celtic State of Mind. I'm Paul John Dykes and this afternoon I am delighted to be joined by Sean Connolly and Brian Degnan. There are one or two things to discuss. Uh, Sean, you can help us out with any uh, contentious refereeing decisions. Brian, you can have your say on the, the Green Brigade and the Celtic board. Not yet resolving, I say, the issue. There's many issues there. And of course, the uh, question of Celtic in Europe has been rumbling on since Tuesday night. Um, we play, in many ways, Sean, we play into the, the hands of the uh, big media firms down south who, you know, they laud English football teams who are spoon-fed massive amounts of money from uh, broadcasters, yet uh, Celtic are criticised. I've heard this week that um, we shouldn't even be allowed to play in the Champions League. And then this morning there was an article saying, I don't know why Brennan Rodgers is even there. This is how damaging uh, a result like Tuesday night uh, can be to Celtic. Um, and it's sometimes a situation, Sean, where you need to just suck it up as a Celtic fan because it's difficult to to even uh, contest some of the criticism coming our way after Tuesday night. Yeah, we are. Um, it seems unquestionably the Ross County of the, the Champions League. Uh or so it feels like that anyway, or Cali Thistle, just kind of there and thereabouts, you know, not anywhere near the scale of what football became since 1994, I think, was when we kind of started changing the Champions League format. I still remember back then when you had, you'd watch a game where it was Man United against Gothenburg and it was an interesting game because you actually didn't know who was going to win. And to be honest, you didn't even know uh, who the opposition players were, and Man United had like one big player in Cantona, and you know there was not this free flow of play. It's just a different game nowadays, you know. Like I heard you guys talking about the the glory runs we had in the sixties and the seventies, and like we can't even dream of that. Do you know what I mean? Like the only way we could even think about doing something like that is if we'd actually went back to the format where it was only champions, and then you know if you jo- and then you're just dodging the top five, and then you can maybe make the last eight if you can dodge the top five leagues, and that's about. The only thing that we could even dream of in that sense. But yeah, Christmas, uh, Brendan Rodgers has stayed to himself. The goal is Chris, uh, Europe after Christmas. And yeah. if we win the league, we'll have that next year. So that's good uh, because we'll have the, the new format for whatever this, I don't know what you're going to call it now. I don't even like calling it Champions League because what you only get 15 out of the 32 teams are actually champions. But exactly. whatever you want to call it, exactly. money trophy. Yeah, it's Moneyball. You know, the the thing that frustrates me a a hell of a lot is when we talk on Axom and, and, you know, a a great deal of the output that I've seen on social media is from Celtic fans who know exactly where we are in the food chain. It's not as if we're sitting here banging on about um, the fact we should be competing in the latter stages or we should be throwing hundreds of millions of pounds um, at it season on season because we know where we are. We know that we can't do it. And I think there's a realistic approach by a great number of Celtic fans when it comes to this discussion. Uh, but the discussion is raging on. You guys haven't had an opportunity to speak about it on a Celtic state of mind, at least. I know that, uh, Sean, the same discussion will be happening over on Celtic down under. What's the, the chat been 
from Jared and the boys. Is it similar to what you're hearing on an axon? I haven't actually caught up with you guys yet. We did ours just before the Atletico. Um, I've been a bit rough at the moment. Um, I'm just at a hospital, actually. I mean, but anyway, yeah. Uh, yeah, but the, the, the chat is kind of broadly the same across the board. The only thing I'll, I, I would add to the conversation that, and obviously a lot of stuff's been said, and most of it is lack of ambition, money in the bank, et cetera, et cetera, criticising the board. The only thing I will do is take a little bit of responsibility onto uh, Celtic fans and that if you want to do something like Ajax getting to the semi-final of the Champions League, you have to be prepared to accept down years. Uh, even the big teams like Ju- your Juventus and AC Milan, they know they're going to have down years. Ajax are currently three points off the bottom of Eredivisie. What, four or five years after they got to the Champions League semi-final? This is not something that Celtic fans will accept domestically. They will not accept having a down year or two to get uh, a potential uh, group of youngsters in or some gambles on uh, signings. And we have to take a little bit of responsibility there, even if we can also then rightly say, why is there £70 million sitting in the bank? You're right, because again, um, I'm always very cautious when it comes to making uh, big generalised statements because you can't speak for anyone other than yourself but um, I've seen what happens Brian and Celtic have a poor domestic campaign in my time and uh, I hear what Sean's saying to to take the three steps forward often you need to take a step back and I don't think it would be tolerated what's your thoughts on that Brian? Uh, so first of all hopefully this sounds okay I'm not in my usual location so apologies if the, the sound quality and my dulcet tones isn't quite up to scratch um, I think it's improved your dulcet tones, Brian. <laughs> do you think so? Wait till I start singing, then we'll see if it's improved. Um, but look, I think I, I kind of, I sort of disagree slightly with that, only because I think if Rogers, as an example, came out and said, look, over the next five years, this is the club's long-term strategy for progress in Europe. We're going to hit these metrics over the course, but there may be the chance that we can't sign the players we normally sign. You know, if it was a clear communication of this is the long-term plan, this is the structure in place at the club, this is where we see ourselves in 5, 10, 15 years, it might be short-term pain for long-term gain, but there it is. I think there will obviously be resistance, but I think you could at least go right, at least there's a strategy, at least we know where we're going. Do I think it would work? I'm not sure. But the reality is, we don't know what the strategy is. I mean, Rogers came back and said that there's going to be KPIs about European performances. But what are they? What is the strategy? I mean, because the thing about it is, there's been a lot of, a lot of people have been criticising the, the money spent and the transfers in. And I don't know that's overly the answer, because I think that I think spending the money better, as opposed to spending more, is a wiser strategy. I think loan-to-buy deals are a wiser strategy for experience. And I think if you say, look, we're going to be signing the strategy year-on-year is we're going to bring three guys up for the youth and we're going to sign three experienced players and we'll see how we get on and we'll try and build that up and build that up. I don't know if that would be the answer that would work, but it would be something. Or if Rogers was to say, look, we're going to try and perform in Europe, we need to equalise the deficit between our abilities, players playing in Scotland and the players playing in these top leagues this is how we're going to try and do it. It may be a, a longer-term process, but this is going to try. You could at least see it. For me, it looks like, and I don't want to be too critical of Rogers, but it does look like he's not learned his lessons for the first time here, for the PS, 
PSG doings and the Barcelona doings. It was this idea of let's be stubborn. We know how to win games. Let's just go and do it. And when you do that against teams, it, it's I can understand the strategy behind it. Andrew was the same, and I get it, and I kind of like it in a way. But see, when you're three 0 down, you got to shut up shop. You can't still be trying to counter attack when you're three 0 down when you've no chance of winning in Spain, and you're doing ten men. So there has to be an element of, you know, Rogers has to take a bit of responsibility. I think. I think the clubs have to. I think the club could communicate a strategy long term that may sort of allow Celtic fans to go. All right, I see where you're going, and I think the transfers. I think if we use the money wiser, as opposed to spending more, I think that's more likely to happen. And um, but a lot of that again comes into the club's communication and the manager. And again, just just before I hand back, I think when you look at what Gordon Strachan and Neil Lennon done getting into the last 16 and yeah the football wasn't fantastic but it was incredibly pragmatic it was very tactically thought out and we got into the last 16 twice with Gary Caldwell and Steve McManus as centre-halves we narrowly got put out the last 16 off AC Milan with Daniel Day at centre-back I believe these are you know this was, that was manager tactical nuance that got us there and it equalised that deficit in player standard to the players we were up against and we've got to be a bit more pragmatic moving forward whether that be club level or manager level when, I, I love when, that you sorry I just love that you mentioned that there Brian the, the, when we got through with Caldwell and O'Day and, and even there's even been a sea change since then uh, with I think we played Benfica that year and look where Benfica are now compared to then you'd have to say in that year they were pretty much level pegging with us in any metric you can imagine right and look where they are now. Uh, out with the, the top five leagues, they're the wealthiest club in the world. They have the highest turnover. They have all these other things. That, and this is where we should be looking. You're, you mentioned sp- spend the money smart. I don't think we spend it too stupidly to begin with, right? But people just want a little bit more. I think we've ticked the box in terms of getting a good quality manager that's going to do it. So so where else? Where else should we be looking, right? Um, what have Benfica got? They've got a team, a B team in the second tier. Okay, so they've got that. Uh, what, what else could we add? Uh, we've got Liam Scales playing at centre-back in every Champions League game. Mm. Shouldn't we be having Liam Morrison playing there right now, 20-year-old, who Bayern Munich stole from us, uh, who's now on loan at Wigan? Why, why is Liam Morrison not currently playing in that position for us instead of Liam Scales? What, what do we need to do as a club to, to make this better? To make our, to get a better pathway? To I, I think that's where we need to be looking at the Benfica is not you know, and then you're right. I, I again, I agree with what you're saying, Brian. It's not. I, I think we are ticking the box to a certain extent, even with those two areas. Even if we can do potentially better. You know, the discussion that will come to the point, Sean, where we could probably give you a starting eleven of Celtic players who barely kicked the ball for Celtic, who have gone on like Morrison, like various others who have gone on and signed um, for other clubs. Ben Doak being the most recent example of that, and of course. You know, I do have concerns about Rocco Vata um, falling into that category as well because he hasn't had a sniff of first-team football. I think there are big there, there are big issues with regards to recruitment right now. There's also big issues regards to youth development and the pathway to the first team. Um, and it's like a titanic shift that it will take to actually get that turned around. But when you reference that particular season and what uh, Benfica have done to improve many of these aspects of the club, 
and you look at Celtic and it's like we'll just continue doing what we do and and that's the frustration I felt the recruitment during the the summer transfer window was a bit of a scattergun approach let's just buy quite a lot of players and hopefully one or two of them work that wasn't the time for that for me I just think that um, I've, I've mentioned Sean over the last three transfer windows we've lost a lot of first team starters and um, you've then got to ask how many have we brought in well Johnston Right, we, we know Johnson's a first-team starter, absolutely. Um, o isn't, he's on the bench, uh, but he's come in within that period, so we haven't improved there, I don't think. Uh, we look at the uh, the fact that Jota's left, and we've, we've signed quite a few wingers. Palma seems to be the shining light there, and I'm not saying it's like for like, but he's a first-team starter through various different circumstances. And then the, the issue with the defender uh, leaving Starfelt, and again, we've signed a few centre-halves, but we revert back to um, the resurrection man, Liam Scales, uh, to, to play in that position. So I don't think the recruitment's been good enough. I can understand the frustration with a lot of people in the comments thinking, right, you're talking about these big broad bush, brush issues at Celtic at the moment, and you can fire in the Green Brigade one in there as well. Let's just talk about football. Listen, this is what following Celtic's like. It's not always just about the football. There's always many other things to discuss. Um, but before we do that, and before we get stuck into all of that, Sean, tell us a wee bit more about Celtic Down Under for anyone who is tuning in for the first time. Bizarrely enough, I got a couple of messages last week from mm -hmm. uh, new viewers, which is great to hear. So they may not be uh, aware of your normal home where you normally talk about Celtic. Tell us a wee bit about it, Sean. Yeah, I'm not sure um, our relevance is uh, at the peak as it was when Postacoglu was the manager. Uh, so we we did exist pre-Postacoglu and will continue to exist post-Postacoglu. Uh, but that was when our stuff kind of really picked up was uh, because we had the kind of insider knowledge on the likes of your Marco Tilios, your and uh, Postacoglu's, Adam Moyes, all that sort of thing. Uh, but we do also have a massive expat community down here. Our local supporters club will get hundreds of people uh, in a Celtic Rangers game and we have events uh, between the different states. Australia itself is as big as Europe uh, in terms of width and, and breadth. So it's a four-hour flight out to Sydney when we went to watch Celtic play against Everton last year. So we do uh, try to cater to that uh, fan base as much as we can, but we, we do recognise that we've, we've got a lot of uh, following from all around the world and so we have a live show on a monday and a thursday uh, a little bit earlier than you guys uh, just because of time differences and then we have a couple of other ad hoc shows that go out as well so if anyone is interested joining in just uh, hop over to youtube and that's probably the best place to get us although we're on all the socials yeah and and the, the important thing uh, is that you did exist pre uh, Ange, and you will continue to exist post-Ange. And Ange crops up with, the, with these discussions, these wider discussions, because I think when we're looking at recruitment, uh, before we get to the Aberdeen game, of course, before we get to the Green Brigade issues uh, that are ongoing, rumbling on, um, Ange Postacoglu, there, there was a sea change, I felt, Sean, uh, in the recruitment. I mean, Brian and I talk about it all the time, the, the, the approach, the strategy, we always talk about that. And I just feel that there was more of an onus on getting people who could make that immediate impact when Ange came in. Now, two, I think there was two reasons for that. Ange, Ange's approach and his knowledge of other markets that we hadn't tapped into, certainly for um, a number of years since since we had Nakamura playing for Celtic. Um, but also the fact that we had to, because th there was no luxury, I don't think, when Ange came in for us to buy half a dozen or a dozen players and for one or two of them to make an impact. We actually needed them to make an impact, Sean. It felt all a bit lax 
that summer transfer window there where we could maybe just buy nine or ten players and, you know, if two or three of them make an impact, great. That was the wrong approach for me. Yeah, I think I was thinking about this earlier and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but the last time we signed a player that anyone had heard of before uh, he signed for us uh, was that was in Ange's first summer when we signed Joe Hart and Cameron Carter-Vickers. I don't think we've signed anyone I've heard of in advance since then and, and that's pretty much the, the Celtic model, isn't it? But you can just imagine back then, like last day of the transfer window, Ange just tearing strips off Mark Lawwell or whoever it was at that time. Uh, I think, I, don't, I can't remember if that was before or after Dominic Kai, Mackay got his jotters. But um, yeah, there's there's certainly not much, much of that these days. And it does seem to be, oh, maybe, I don't know, it feels like they're filtering in players that are ticking boxes in the metrics, you know, like City Group players yeah. that are not going to be good enough for, I can't remember, what Spanish team have they got? Is it Getafe? Girona? I can't remember which one it is. Um, do we know? I'm no. not too sure actually which uh, club is associated with them in Spain. Um, but you're right that there's like a a, a, a ratchet, if you like, and mm. if they're maybe you know the top kind of level players are going to be being sent and being pushed towards the the top city teams, and then there's a there's a calibre of player that that's been promoted to, to Celtic in many many respects. Other players are being promoted all over Europe, and uh, Celtic have bitten on that and. The big thing as well, Sean, it was really the approach of, of Brendan Rodgers that I'm not saying was worrying. He was just in the door and, you know, a lot of these deals were already in the works. So I'm pretty sure it's going to be hard to um, distinguish which of the players were, you know, in inverted commas, Brendan signings and uh, mm-hmm. which were not. Because I, I don't believe for a moment that we are now in a situation, Sean, where the manager or the, or the head coach of a football club doesn't identify players. I mean, I know how big the recruitment is and it's a whole team and it's linking in with the scouting network. I get it all, absolutely. And that players are presented to managers and it's a year or an A, etc. cetera. Uh, I think that, you know, for a club Celtic size, that is necessary, but I also think that there needs to be that familiarity as well with uh, some of the players coming in. And it's a discussion I had a couple of weeks back where I pointed out, you know, Brennan Rodgers was definitely absolutely uh, responsible for some of the signings he made first time round. You just, you, you know that he was responsible for Scott Sinclair. Yeah. You know, that, that was obvious. Well, you yeah. know, these things were obvious. And then when Ange comes in, absolutely he was responsible for a number of the players. And there were some that, that would have been presented to him. So I'm not saying you tear the whole thing up. It just felt far too much weighted, Sean, in um, support of the other sides of recruitment, which is, Here's the guy, ticks all the boxes on the metric. He's going to play your style of football. Let's go for him, he's three and a half million quid. Um, rather than Brendan saying, I really fancy um, Castagne, let's sign him. Or I really fancy John McGinn, yeah. let's sign Puccini. him. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it just players, feels like we've, we've yeah. gone too much the other way this time round. Yeah, because as you said, when he went to Leicester, he started picking off all the those players we'd been linked with and hadn't signed. So, like, it clearly was. But I mean, I know he took the guy with him, but still, it clearly was a personal preference, right? That he thinks this guy's going to be able to do a job for me there. Uh, I just did a quick look at his Girona, who are part of City Group, who are currently mm. uh, enjoying the rarefied air of being top of La Liga, which is interesting. Uh, ahead of Barcelona, Real Madrid. Is that so where Paddy Roberts went? Did Paddy go there on uh, loan, Girona? It must have been that. Yeah, a couple of seasons back. Ah, It would have been. But yeah, we certainly feel like we're a subsidiary of the City Group sometimes, but 
we do need to try and get up a tier in the players that we are getting if that is the market we're in. We can't we can't be being second fiddle to whatever Melbourne. No, I know we're not second fiddle to Melbourne. We're signing players from them, but like I don't know. Is, is there are we the step between Man City, Girona, and then there's us, and then it's New York, Yokohama. You know, that's that seems like that that is the case. There's nothing in between, right? Man City and Girona, then us, and then whoever. It does feel like that, Sean. Um, by the way, somebody's going to clip that and say Paul John Dykes wants Paddy Roberts to sign in January. That's going to be turned around <laughs> into that. Uh, we will be talking about wingers because obviously we're going to have an issue when it comes into the Lazio game and a discussion around um, how we actually approach the last couple of Champions League games as well. But Brian, you know, you and I have spoken long and hard about um, recruitment and uh, there was a, an interesting article on one of the blogs just a couple of days back, maybe yesterday, going on about the, the hit and miss rate and the fact that, you know, because the league that we're playing in, uh, sometimes you get away with it uh, to a degree, but if you wanted to look over the last 20 years, how many players we've signed and the, the money that we've wasted. And every time I bring that up, there's always some comments saying, listen, it's no inexact science, there's no guarantees. Barkas, Ayeti proves that. I get it, I totally get it. But um, I don't think we, we stood much of a chance in the transfer window there. Listen, I've said it before, I think, um, you know, I want to point out I'm not writing off any of the players, but it concerns me at this stage of the season, Brian, when we've not seen two of them, uh, Tilio and Quan, we haven't seen them kicking a ball for Celtic. That that concerns me. And you think to yourself, what's that, three and a half, four million quid? Could that have been spent better? Could that have been spent on somebody who would make an impact? Because we do need quality. We need quality right now. There was a, a severe lack of quality on Tuesday night. So, yeah, I, I think it goes back to my initial point and what we've covered before. If you don't have a strategy for these for approaching things, you know, it's like Ryan Christie shooting. Sometimes you get it right, sometimes it's better in your garden, right? Your erratic is the word that came to mind there, erratic, yes. Erratic, I, I just like my music taste, erratic. Yeah. And it's just, you go, it's like the Argos catalogue of signings. You're just flicking through and going, ah, look, sorry, I'll get that. You know, you know, get it, get it in finance. No paying for six months. I don't work for Argos, by the way. But the point oh, is, I used to work. I used to work for Argos. I, I, you've got that look about you. I let you <laughs> see what that means. It's but Smith's toys catalogs that uh, dominate my house, Brian Smith's. Bad, listen, I don't know. What, I don't why I know what catalogs dominate your house, Paul. Right with you doing your spare things, your business, pal. But the, the point being, there's no strategy. So I've said before, the reason you mentioned Benfica earlier, uh, Sean. Benfica have got a strategy of the type of players they sign because of the way they play. So every player they bring in, if they can't get a youth player to fill it, they bring in somebody that, that can fill it, right? So under Ange, we had a very, very distinctive style of play. So he was able to buy the players and he knew it would fit his system. That's why he was so successful in the first place. Second season, knows much, but again, the system was strong enough. Then Rogers comes in. Changes things up a bit. Mm. So then you go, you sign home, who I think is a really good player, but where does he fit in that system? Because he's no quite like Matt O'Reilly, he's not quite like Hitati, he's just a good midfield player. Palmer, we really need a, a, a winger with a bit of pace like Jota, a bit trickery. He's not got pace, but he's got trickery, he's a good player, but doesn't he quite fit? That's where my concern is. It's not the money we're spending on players, it's the fact that it's the, like the profile of players. Do they fit a specific way of playing? Yeah. Well, we don't know because we don't have a specific way of playing until Rogers is a team month into the season. Now, people were 
gone crackers at me because I, I said I would have preferred Maresca to come in. The reason being, I wanted the club to have a strategy where the system and the style of play and the recruitment based around that was more important than the coach. The coach comes in, gets the best of the players, like a Dortmund, like a Man City, like these like Leipzig, like these clubs that are progressing well, like Brighton. Look at Brighton, for example. They don't spend a lot of money for the Premier League. In fact, they spend very little for the Premier League. But they've got a system, they've got a style of player that fits that system, and they can go right, look at the data. We need a, you know, a centre half that's very, very fast and can track back because we play really high up uh, fullback. Right, give me a list of players that data matches that set. They're who we sign. We're just saying, guys, because we think they're good players and they might maybe set them on for a couple of quid. There's no, there's no correlation there. There's no strategy in place, and that's what concerns me. And Rogers has come in, and he's a brilliant coach, of course, and we're spending a lot of money on Rogers. But he's like, there's a better way to say. So look, we mentioned Vata earlier. How much better is Yang and Telio than Vata? We this don't know, right? This is my point. We, yeah. we don't know. Mm. But we spent a couple of million on each of them, one of which has not played and one of which hasn't played much. How much better is Kobayashi than Boston Loal? How much better how much better does home fit into the system than a Ben Summers or a Kelly or a Yuri? How much better is Burnaby than Michael Frame or Montgomery? Every clear metrics to say this is why he's in that squad, this is why his skill set specifically matches the way we play, and that's why this guy's no playing. I would get it, but there's not. It's a bit scattergun. Mm. And we won't progress because it's seen in three years' time or two years' time when Rogers leaves, because he said he'll stay here for three years, right? And let's take him at his word for once. He'll stay here for three years. He might get us to a point where we're playing all right in Europe and we've got a system. Then who comes in after him? Barry Robson. Right. Sean, <laughs> Talk about a Friday up in the boat. I think I'm supposed to be here, Sean. You can come back. You take the shine right off of me. But the point being, we'll rip up, we'll rip it up and start again. I and know. if somebody else comes and then there you go, you're, you're right. A couple of points there, Brian. First of all, Brennan Rogers said he would come to the St. Rocks game and he turned up. So I believe everything he says now, right? I'm not having it any other way. He said he's going to be here for three years. He'll be here for three years. Secondly, don't clip that if he leaves. Secondly, um, if you're just buying players because they fit the financial profile of someone that you can sell on at a profit, you're right. It doesn't necessarily mean they're going to fit the system. And I think that's an issue, right? So you've got the bean counters saying, well, we bring this young guy in. Ah, you know, it's it's not going to cost as much. Put him on a Champions League platform before you know it. You're doubling your money. That that's kind of like the, the way that the process that you know that the thinking behind it. Um, and if we you know we go through five before we get one that we make a profit on, we'll make enough profit for it to be worthwhile. And again, it's a dangerous game, Brian, because do they fit the system? I'm going to use one player as an example because my my thoughts on Oden Home is Oden Home at this stage is um, further on in his development than Callum McGregor was at the age of twenty. That's my point. And I think that in the fullness of time, I'm talking three, four, five years down the line, he could prove to be a, a phenomenal find. Um, he's shown all the kind of raw qualities that can be ironed out and, and kind of remoulded by someone like Brendan Rodgers. I think home will be a cracking signing. He's only 20 years of age. And at the age of 20, Callum hadn't kicked a ball for Celtic's first team. And look at him now. So I do think that I can see that being a wise investment. Someone see, like... see, just on that, Paul, sorry to interrupt, just, just on that, 
see when you look at that idea of giving them a showcase in the Champions League and maybe selling them on. Mm. So this is where I, I differ for a lot of Celtic fans because I think the club's business strategy is is spot on. It clearly makes good financial sense because we're making the money. But if we just tweaked it, so we talk about home, right? He's not been starting in the Champions League. It's not like his family got sent off, right? But if we're going right, that guy fits our system. He can just play. But the problem is, if we're, we're taking a scattergun approach and we keep getting scalped in Europe, who's going to pay X amount of million for a guy that sat on the bench where, where we're getting beat 6 0? Do you see what I mean? So if we just, it, it's, like, it's like half measures. The club, I almost wish the club would just completely buy into what their, their strategy is and just do it properly or stop doing it and buy more experienced players and try and get a wee bit further. It's kind of it's kind of pissed I got off the pot at that stage, and that's what I can't quite understand. The, the other point I was going to make there, Brian, because uh, I don't disagree with that. What what is the point of putting them on the Champions League platform if we're the whipping boys? Um, and I think that's a double whammy because then the quality player that you get using that as a crap carrot come and play in the Champions League and don't really fancy getting beat six nothing. Why? No, no thanks. Um, but the player where we are we brought someone in, um, you know, and he's he's an international cap. And uh, he gets some game time, and as you say, you try and flip it to make a profit. The one I'm going to use as an example, Gustav Lagerbjelk. Now, that my question would be: Does Brennan Rogers rate him because he's been fit for the last five, six games that he's not featured in? So I think that's that's the point. You can bring these guys in and think, right, we can maybe spend two and a half to three million pound on this guy, and make sure he still gets international recognition because he's playing in the Champions League because that's another knock-on effect of that. We've seen that with Matt O'Reilly as well, performing in the Champions League and he's making that step up for the under-21 Danish national team. And then the value goes through the roof. Then they sell them for a profit. But Lagerbjelk's a classic classic example, Sean, of that last transfer window not really working because I don't think Brennan Rodgers rates him. He doesn't fancy him. Uh, Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Uh... He was the one that was panic signed after, was it Starfield left or was it an injury or was it both? I can't remember. Probably uh, both because there was a few injuries yeah, kicking about at that time. Because I remember the, the names that were came out were Navrotsky and um, Lagerbjelk and then we said mm. Navrotsky and then like a week later either Starfield leaves or whatever injury the Carter Vickers happens and and then next day Lagerbjelk's in. It's like, all right, okay. Uh, and yeah, like the guy's getting gains for Sweden, so he can't be that bad, but I don't know. Rogers just doesn't seem to rate him. He'd rather have Nat Phillips in there, and I don't really personally rate Nat Phillips myself, so it's, it's a weird one. It's a very confusing one to me. Uh, I don't know if there's just aspects to his game, because he's he was, he's much, you know, he had a bit of desire, a good bit of dig, but yeah, he's quite erratic, and he just like punting the ball forward, so I don't know if he's just trying to work that out of his game. Um mm. You know, he just—it felt like he was just trying too hard to get the ball forward. To like, oh, we're not winning. We need to get it, and just launch it, kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and I think there was the game just before we went to Ibrooks, and that was it. Cal McGregor was out, and people need to remember how like kind of desperate we were all thinking the situation was going to Ibrooks. Like, we were like, oh, how much are we going to lose by? Maybe we can get a draw. That was all. You know, the week before, Cal McGregor's in the media saying. We, we we don't we're not playing well. We don't really know what we're doing. The players are just punting the ball about. We don't, and, and then we go and win at Ibrooks, and the narrative just flips like that, right? So maybe we're not 
at where we think we are and like a win at Ibrox kind of glosses over that and we need to kind of give these players, this team, a little bit more time and leeway, maybe. Uh, and maybe there is, as you said, an aspect of panic buy, scattergun. It's mm. it's a bit overbloated and just get as many bodies through the door and see which cream rises to the top. It could be both those things, right? Yeah, I mean, I would totally agree with that if we hadn't won a treble last season. Yeah. See if this was Ben Rogers' first season, we'd come off a shocker last year. I'd completely buy that. I'd go and give him a bit of time, you know, finding his feet, blah, blah, blah. We won a treble last year. Playing excellent football. And and I think, other than, I mean, the Madrid, the Athletic Madrid and the drop home was our best performance of the season. We've not had many of them. Like, we took a, a, a bit of a downturn, and I know we're, we're, we're ahead in the league, but it's a long way to go as well. You know, people go, oh, Lee's won, but Lee's no one. There's not a fair way to go. And I just think, you know, how many times have we been in a position of strength and not capitalised? And my concern is, yeah. we've got, there's a lot of things like, you know, Brendan Rodgers just in, we need to give him a bit of leeway. I, I don't buy that. I, I, don't, I think when you win a treble and you're so dominant, you need to stay dominant, and we haven't. You know, my, my point on that one, Brian, um, and it goes back to the point uh, yesterday I was making with the guys over the last three transfer windows, but I was focusing on the most recent one, is at the end of last season, that that team, um, I'm not saying it was broken up, absolutely not, but we, we lost Jota and we've not replaced him with the, the same level of quality. And I don't mean a £25 million player. You can bring someone in who makes it, you know, makes it a, a real impact. Palmer has shown signs that he could make a big impact this season. We lose Starfield and then there was the scattergun approach of bringing in a couple of centre-halves plus an emergency centre-half and then we play a guy who was there all along in Liam Scales and who deserves the jersey. And then the other guy being Moy, sometimes overlooked, Aaron Moy, big, big player for his last season. Have we brought in a midfield player who's making a similar impact? Well, even as much as I love O and I really do like him, and I've also liked what I've seen from Bernardo, the answer is no. We've not brought someone in who's making the impact of Amoy. And I think that's my frustration in the transfer window is we didn't bring in the three players of quality we were screaming out for, not necessarily in these positions, by the way, but three players of quality that we really, really needed. And yesterday I was talking to James, uh, young James, and I love reading uh, James's blogs and hearing his perspective on things, slightly different de- generation from me, but I do love hearing his perspective on it. And uh, I said, you know, we need to put that right, and we need to put it right in the January transfer window and start to bring the quality back in. James doesn't think that's going to happen, Sean, but business can be done in January. I know it's not ideal. I know it's sometimes harder to do the business, but I do think that, you know, for the remainder of the season, going back to Brian's point, we need to strengthen, and it's not with one eye on the Champions League at the moment. That's all but gone. It's mm-hmm. to ensure that we do continue in the second half of the season because it hasn't been free-flowing. It hasn't been fluid. It's been a bit stop and start. We get our win at Ibrox. I think that leading up to Atletico Madrid, we had two very good performances against Killian Hearts, and then it kind of peaked against Atletico Madrid, took a dip again, started building up again, got whacked on Tuesday night. What's going to happen on Sunday? We'll talk about that. So I do think we need to strengthen What's your take on January? Is that I know it's not an ideal time, but can we bring in two or three players of quality come January? Oh, there's no question we can. Um, the question really is, what's the kind of metric of? That's the wrong word. Sorry. What's the profile of player you want to be bringing in? Would you rather be bringing in a Starfelt, a 26 year old, plug in, 
or would you rather be bringing in an Odson Edward, 18-year-old from PSG with good pedigree and potential? I mean, if you can get someone in this 18, right, then get them signed, then potentially that's one of your tick for Champions League squad, right? Uh, but then on the other hand, if you get in a, a Starfelt 26, then maybe you're ready to compete uh, next year if the ones they've had their six months bedding in. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Like... I think yeah. we need a couple more like that. I mean, there were a few in Angie's first season, weren't there, when you think about it. We brought in Kyogo, who was that kind of profile. We brought in Yakamakis, and, of course, Starfelt, who you've already mentioned. Um, Brian, there was also the suggestion of reverting back to that loan-to-buy um, method as well. What I want is I want to bring in players of calibre who make an instant impact. Um, probably you're probably going to the, the higher um, level of age, the, a different age group, as Sean suggested there. Maybe the, the sell-on isn't as high as we've seen with Starfelt. As we've seen with, sorry, the other one was Juranovic, of course. We've seen that with Juranovic, Starfelt and Yakimakis. You might make a couple of million quid. You might make your money back, but you're not making 10 million, Brian. But what you are doing is, is you're really bolstering the team for the rest of the season. But you've got three guys who, when it comes round to the, start of the Champions League next season, you're in a better position. I mean, does that make sense to you? Am I am I clutching here for January? I, I think that the approach is right. I just don't know if we'll do it. So, for example, like Nat Phillips is actually, despite I, I don't think he's going to be here past January, but he is actually an example of probably the approach we should be taking. So, if you look at, you know, what we should be doing is at the start of this window, I think we should have went right. We really need a centre, a, a goalkeeper that's got experience that, you know, can can save his points. I don't think Joe Hart's it. We probably need a left-back that's a bit more athletic than Greg Taylor because Bernabe's not the right option. Another centre mid to replace Moyne, I'm going to replace Shorter. Probably another striker, right? So four or five players. So instead of spending nine million, or I spend, spending X amount of million on nine or ten players, which we did, why not spend, you know, the same amount of money but four players? Or spend on a couple of players and bank the money and say, right, we'll get loan to buys in. And if they're worth, the, the loan to buy find is £8 million. Well, we can't even spend £8 million just now. But if we loan them at the end of the season, we'll go, right, they're worth £8 million. We'll pay it as we did with Jota and as we did with Carter Vickers. So the approach should be there. It's just whether they use it or not. And, and I don't know that they will. And that's what concerns me. It's just like, I keep saying it, but it's having the right strategy. Now, I think... Rogers maybe a bit hubris thought he could come in and just coach whoever they gave him and it'd be fine. I think clearly that's not the case. I think you know the strongest start in eleven is basically the strongest start of him for last year, minus shorter. And in Southfield obviously it's no there. So I think that's damning evidence that the transfer window wasn't good enough. Mm. So I think he may say, right, look, I've got I mean this player, this player to come in and help. I always think you need a strong spine of a team, and then that's what it can go back to then you can have some of your younger guys. You know, if you send out, you know, some real quality in, say, midfield, you can afford to go, right, let's bring Vata and Kelly or Summers up and let them, because we've all set it against the real quality we've got. So we've signed four players who are low to buys, they've had Premier League experience, Premier League experience, whatever, and we can fill the rest with some of your younger guys and they can equalise it a bit. Um... And I was just thinking, actually, and, and I might be wrong here, and I'm sure someone will tell me because I'm no shy, but if you look at all the wingers we signed, I don't think we signed one left-footed winger. 
And I think other than Liam Scales and Kobayashi, we don't have any left footy centre backs. Now that's just a bit of a strange approach for me. And I just think it's basic things like that we need to as a club really look at. And it's just aligning the two things. I think yeah. Tilly was left footed, but I'd need to defer to Jared on who, that one. Who would know? I've played me against from Tilly. No seen him. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah, I know. And, and again, I, I stress I don't want to write any of the signings off. I just don't think they were the right type of buys at that time. Stephen Sloan, most decent footballers, don't want to play in Scotland, play in Ross County, etc. four times a season. And any decent players that do come to Scotland shouldn't get tired of that four times a season. Boarfest, listen. I think that um, you sign players safe in the knowledge that uh, you're bringing them into a game that certainly is not um, at the elite level. Um, that's a bigger discussion because I just think that, you know, let's uh, get our own house in order and then you can talk about the state of Scottish football uh, because there are loads loads and loads of things wrong with the game that oh. we are part of. Um, Come on and do a whole hour with you, Paul, on that. We could do that, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, we yeah, could do <laughs> a series, a series of podcasts on that one. Jungle Lion, uh, Celtic without the Green Brigade. Let's uh, move on to the, the that big discussion point then. And boys, it's not good for the atmosphere and crack. Thanks everybody for getting involved. Um, I know that it's it's been a bit doom and gloom. It has been a bit doom and gloom this week with regards to the Champions League endeavours, if you can even use that word. And what's been happening with the club and the Green Brigade now? You're watching from afar, Sean. And by the way, I hope you're okay. I don't, I don't know why you were in hospital. Uh, I had an appendectomy. An appendectomy, right? Yeah. Okay, Thankfully, I have out. never had that. I don't like the sound of it. Um, yeah. Hopefully, you're on the mend, mate. And you know, from afar, looking in, and you're, you're looking at the, the spectacle that Celtic Park can be, uh, particularly on Champions League nights. You know, I, I remember the atmosphere being pretty dull and, and flat uh, for a long, long time prior to, we remember the Jungle Boys, um, which was a, a fan mm -hmm. group, and they worked really, really closely with the club, I, I believe, and that was probably the first kind of movement of that type. I'm not saying fan movement. I know we had Celts for Change and, and uh, Save Ourselves. There's been fan movements, of course, but that kind of um, injection of colour and song and, that, and life into the stadium, Sean, I love it. I absolutely love that. I love the idea behind ultras and what they bring to the stadium and to the game. And I also truly believe in the fact that Celtic fans bring an en energy to that stadium that can have a positive influence on the players. I believe that, right? No excuses whatsoever. But during the pandemic, I think we suffered dreadfully by not having fans in the stadium. We are the, the cliched 12th man, if you like, or woman. Um and we had one of the most famous, I would say, some might say infamous, uh, ultra groups in the Green Brigade. Um, throughout Europe, I think there was there was infamy. Um, but that was something that added something positive for me, not only during the games, uh, but for a lot of the work that they did away from the football ground in terms of the charity work, the food bank collections. Phenomenal. Glad to have them on board. But they have gone toe-to-toe -to -toe with the club and I'm at this, the point where on the 9th of November, if I go into my inbox here, I've got two emails from Celtic on the same day. Um, the first one was titled Cozy Up in Celtic SC Nightwear. So you can imagine what that email included. And the second one was Rail Seating Section Update, which was a more interesting um, message. You'll have seen it. It's been shared all over the place. Mm -hmm. But basically, 
The club are certainly not going to be uh, walking about with a gun at their head, Sean. They're taking a real hard line on the situation at the moment with the Green Brigade. Um, as a fan of the Green Brigade, and I've always been a fan and I've spoken about that many, many times, don't think they always get it right. Who does? But I'm a massive fan. I think it would be horrendous if we were to lose them. Um, but is there a, a sense of divide and conquer here from that most recent email, Sean? Yeah, look, the, the club are getting their the ducks in a row here and they've done it well. Uh, they've obviously got this planned out in advance. If there's any truth to the the fact that this is to do with the, the pro-Palestine thing, then that's, and they're saying something different, then that's, I, I don't like that. That's, but it's the club have got their ducks in a row and they can't, you can't really argue with it in a sense. Like you would, any lawyer could not possibly come back to that, right? Um, I still remember, I used to go to Celtic Park before I moved to Australia and I, I remember what the atmosphere was like before the singing section. And it was like a library at times, you know, you would you would be able to hear everything that the opposition manager was shouting at his players. Um, I'd rather not go back to that. Uh, but also what, like, the, the Green Brigade thing, that, that was really, really shocking, the timing of that pro-Palestine display after, when with all the images, like how much images had came out with what had happened in Israel that day. Um, and literally, if if they'd done that maybe even three days later, there would none of, if if the rumors are true that that was the cause of it, if they'd done it three days later, then that possibility of that being a reason is removed. I, I think they had to give a little bit of read the room in that moment, right? Uh, that is about the only day, give or maybe two days either side of it, in the last 50 years where you could have made a pro-Palestine display and actually been in the wrong and they managed to nail it right in that like four day window and any other time in this last 50 years a pro-Palestine thing is not going to be shouted down and I think everyone else kind of tolerates all the other stuff they do right like the uh, tolerates enjoys it right and the board I mean tolerates it you know the pyro the swearing the telling UEFA where to go we tolerate uh, the board tolerates all because they like the it does add atmosphere the only thing I'm hoping might come out of this is maybe the boards are just looking to kind of cut off some of the the major troublemakers in the group. And there's an irony, and the, they've made that clear in the email you're talking about. They're speaking with people in the Green Brigade who want to get out and mm-hmm. be elsewhere. And maybe this will lead to the Celtic wall happening, which would be great if that does happen. Uh, the one that was at the, the ladies' game last year, uh, this year, but at last season. Um I'm hoping maybe it can lead to a rearrangement and a more positive and broader group where it's better self-policing. Because the Green Brigade do a lot of great stuff, but they've done some really ridiculous stuff, particularly recently, that is they just can't... It's indefensible in a sense, right? And that's what the board is attacking. Whatever their true motivations are, we can't know. You know, you're right. You can't. And I know that the club are saying, Brian, it's not due to the, the displace uh, in support of, of Palestine. And I, I totally get what Sean uh, is saying there in terms of the timing of the, the one, obviously, in question um, after what happened on the 7th of October. However, um, the club are always going to be in charge um, of the stadium. And I was talking about holding a gun to their head, probably the, the, a bad analogy at this moment in time, but you know, turning the, the thumbscrews uh, on, on Celtic. It's not going to happen, but I think that maybe other factors have been turning the thumbscrews on the club. You imagine 
perhaps some pressure from UEFA, some pressure from Glasgow City Council, pressure from uh, sponsors, perhaps, um, because it, it is a very hard line that the club have eventually started taking with the Green Brigade. My biggest fear out of all this is that the Green Brigade are no more, Brian. You know, is that going to happen? There might be members of that that firm, um, that, that supporters club as they are officially, uh, a CSC, watching this or maybe hearing about this and thinking, no, that's never going to happen. But in terms of communication, you're left to wonder because there isn't a lot of communication, is there, really? And you don't really know where this is going. But the club are not going to back down, Brian. They've drawn a line. Um, and I think it's never going to be the same again. Do you think it, it opens the door to to something slightly different, as Sean suggested? Remember the Celtic end chat that we had at the beginning of the season, or the end of last season, rather, um, about the, the green and white wall that might exist behind uh, one one of the goals, which looked tremendous at the, the women's game last season? Or do you think it's the end of an era? Uh, what's your take on it, Brian? So I've got a, a couple of... I sort of quick taste, I won't ramble on too much, but I'd mentioned last week that the lack of communication and the lack of engagement between the board and the Green Brigade and whoever else, it appears in the face of it really poor. And I think that there's a couple of ways to look at this, right? So I'm often criticised because I talk about how well the club performs financially as a business, and it does. It really does. It's it's really hard to pick holes in the how they run that. However, as a business, what is your USP, your unique selling point? Well, for Celtic, it's the fans. It's the atmosphere. No player that's ever came to Celtic Park has said, oh, Peter Lowe's done a great job. They've all said, fans are brilliant, atmosphere's great, it's one of the best stadiums to play football in, right? You've got that, then you've got the history of the club, you've got the kind of romanticism uh, around the club. These are things that make the club special and interesting, and that's slogan, a club like no other, that's what makes it that way. Yeah. The club are changing that, I think, because what they're doing is they think the brand's strong enough that they don't need the Green Brigade because there'll be enough people to fill the stadium. But that's not the true reflection. And I think their strategy, even if they're looking at it from a cold, hard business perspective, it's still the wrong strategy because they're not embracing what makes them different. They're not embracing what makes them separate. And you know what? See, a bit of controversy. It draws eyes to the club. But the edge. But that age right. makes yeah. us different. Like yeah. in a viewer, like no, they they often say uh, any publicity is good publicity, and it's not always the case depending on what the content is. But even if it's a bit controversial view, it'll be spoken about all over the world. There's always eyes in Celtic after that for like-minded people. People, you've got an establishment, and you've got the anti-establishment, which we've always been. So if you've got all these people in the establishment then naturally the people who are anti-establishment are attracted to the club. So then you're building your fan base as well. And maybe people find stuff a bit distasteful, that's fine, you don't need to get involved in it. You can separate yourself from it. But ultimately the club's approach, I think, has been very poor because I don't think it makes sense from a business perspective. It certainly doesn't make sense from a, a fan's perspective. And I think actually, if you really look at it, Celtic's a club that was founded in trying to feed you know, victims of tyranny and oppression. And what we're doing is we're getting a, second, a section of support who are being oppressed by the board who want to rebel. So most South fans got to take their side. If you look at the story of the club, the hearts and minds are going to go with the Green Brigade, regardless of the politics, regardless whether you agree or not. 
I've often said I would rather politics wasn't involved in football. I'd rather it was separate. I think it's far too nuanced for 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 you know football fans to be dragged into. But it is a factor and it does exist. I think the club need to be very careful here what they're doing because you know we saw how bad it got when we lost ten in a row. No lack of communication between club and the board and the fans, and it got really toxic really quickly. And I think if you try to stamp that out and stamp out what makes Celtic special as a business, that's long-term damaging. And to your, just quickly to your point about, you know, them being concerned about fines or sponsorship and stuff like that, I think that's absolute nonsense because you look at some of the clubs in the world and there's some crazy clubs with crazy fan bases who do crazy things and they've still got loads of sponsorships, still got loads of advertisement. That doesn't affect it. If anything, the eyes are on it. And I think, you know, to think and we can certainly afford the fines because we're not spending it players, right? So there's no reason for this other than the club's decided that's not how we want to run it anymore. And I think that flies in the face of what makes Celtic Celtic. And I think they really that's really concerning. Just, just a quick note, sorry, on what you said, Brian, about growing the fan base. Uh, yeah, but in terms of pro-Palestine thing, you're probably growing the fan base, uh, particularly in areas like Qatar and Iran and places like that which has its own separate, that I won't pass judgment on, moral hazards uh, to do so. You know the other no, thing that... John, I never said anything about Palestine. What I said no, no, you was, not. Sorry, I just meant... We, yeah. we tend to be an anti-establishment club. Yeah. So if we embrace that, which we've always done, we tend to attract fans of other anti-establishment clubs. That's nothing to do with Palestine. So just to be accurate. So I think that's the point, is if either... If, we're on the route to becoming this very establishment, non-controversial club. Is that what Celtic is? On that That's point, Brian. On that yeah, point, but... that was the wording that I was interested in because I think we're an anti-establishment fan base and we're turning into an establishment club. And that's a big fear of mine as well, Sean, um, is that the fan base and the board seem to be on two different sides here uh, when mm-hmm. it comes to that. Um, and I think that's one of the biggest arguments really is that the hardline kind of stance that the club are taking is a very establishment stance. Um, and they won't like me for saying it. Uh, we are currently, as we speak, in a press conference up at the club. Um, Jerry will be representing Axon and we'll be asking questions of, of Brendan Rodgers in, in the eve of the Aberdeen game, the eve of the eve even. Uh, but I do feel that we're veering towards becoming an establishment club with regards to our approach as a football club. But the fan base is not an establishment fan base. We're anti-establishment, and that's why there's a coming together and there's a conflict here, Sean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, I mean, do we want to grow the fan base in that way, or do we want to grow it because based on the spectacle? Because right now the two things are one and the same, right? So um, you could, I think maybe, and I, I, no, I, not, I'm just picking this out there. It's just a logical point, right? That maybe the board want to depoliticize the spectacle and have just the spectacle I, I don't know maybe that's what they're trying to push at probably because remember I mean the club worked pretty closely uh, absolutely delighted to be corrected on this by anyone who was involved with the Jungle Boys but my belief was that the club worked pretty you know hand in hand with the Jungle Boys with regards to trying to assist with um, any kind of displays etc and when I look at the the, the, the Green Brigade they're not going to get managed. They're not going to be managed or go hand in hand. There's going to be an element of having to get access to the stadium to set up TIFOs, etc. But they're not going to be told what to do. Um, and I think that's where there is this conflict. I'm not sure it's going to be resolved. Uh, I would much rather we went back to the 
going back to the quote that, that Brennan Rogers made first time round about talking about the holy trinity when you've got the, the group of players and the management team you know, as one group and then you've got the fan base and then you've got the club as a board and if the three of them work in unison, we can be an unstoppable source at the moment. It feels very fragmented and that's frustrating as well. Um, yeah, we do have a game on Sunday. We've got four and a half minutes to talk about it. Aberdeen... Uh, Sean's already pitched uh, Barry Robson in for the next uh, manager's post. I know you didn't, Sean, but that's what happens on these shows. By the time it reaches social media, you have done. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So we go into that, into that game on Sunday. And, uh, you know, there's been big questions. I mean, what I was frustrated with about our performance, yeah, absolute lack of quality. You're up against a top, top team away from home. You're up against it. One arm tied behind your back because of the sending off. Absolutely get it. But the way that, I'm, I'm kind of viewing it now is our midfield completely overrun because your two inverted fullbacks who were coming in and, and kind of flooding the midfield, they were getting pinned back. They, they were having to defend. So they, when we broke into the midfield, the midfield basically, it wasn't that it was non-existent, Sean, but it's very difficult because we're getting overrun there, which means you then go into the fact that you've got two wingers that, you know, you're, you're basically playing with three up front. Um, and they're not getting any kind of service because the midfield's been overrun. I know that's a simplistic way of doing it, but that's where we were. Uh, but that's where we're going to have to live if you're going to be playing in the Champions League because teams are going to pin you back. They're going to pin your full-backs right back um, you know, into your own third of the park. Your midfield's going to get overrun. Your forwards aren't going to get any, any service. And that results in a hammering, and that's what's happened. How can you go from that to then flicking the switch and then we're going to be the dominant team on Sunday? Um, are we able to do it? Is there going to be this cliched European hangover come Sunday? Uh, I think we technically have the advantage in that sense because I didn't watch the game, but from what I heard, Aberdeen put an absolute almighty shift in in Greece mm. last night. Mm-hmm. So I think if anyone's going to have the European hangover, it, it would be them. We've got two extra days of recovery. We Spain is a lot closer than Greece in terms of travel. We've got the home game. I think... If anyone manages, if anyone tries to drop the European hangover excuse, then that is absolutely invalid. Thanks to Aberdeen, with that, by any logic, having the the greater European hangover. So home comforts, uh, a couple of changes. They stayed up a, a few hours longer. They they got onto the Jägermeisters. Uh, they're going to have a worse hangover. Basically, yes. that's what you're yeah. yeah, well, and we should have more quality to rotate into the squad as well than Aberdeen do, right? So maybe they rest a couple of their best players. Uh, I get what you're saying. It's more of a mindset change and a tactical change for us than, than it is for Aberdeen, who are going to essentially be playing the same tactics and maybe different players. They'll maybe rotate. I'm not sure. I think they might be pinned in a bit uh, and it might take us a bit of time to break them down, but they should theoretically be gubbed within an hour and we should be bringing Palma off the bench or, that, or whoever, right? It depends. I'm, I'm guessing we'll probably start some fresh legs and then bring some quality off the bench like we did last week. I assume. Yeah. I mean, listen, this is another thing from Nemansis, and uh, we have touched on it over the, the week, and it's a fair point. Not sure why Brennan Rogers didn't change to a, a more kind of defensive um, uh, shape and bring on Phillips to defend the box when Maida was sent off. I was kind of shouting out for that at the time as well, Brian. Um, I, I felt as much as I like Palmer, and he'd actually shown in the game that he was willing to take a, a ping from 20, 25 yards. We were in a situation where it was backs to the wall. Bring on a centre half. Um, your, your your midfield getting overrun at this stage. We it felt as though we should have done what we did at home, 
uh, and and change it up a wee bit, Brian. And so I get the point that my Mansus is making. How do you flick that switch and go from being under the cosh, being kind of right, really pinned back in at your own third, to then going back to the way we play domestically, where we tend to do that to the opposition? Yeah, I think that should be our bread and butter. That that should be sort of the easy to go back to because that's what we've been doing. I think the challenge will be is the fact that Aberdeen will be, to Sean's point, they'll be shattered and they'll sit in as deep as possible and we need to be patient and break that down. Um, after a 6-0 defeat, we really need to be battering someone. Mm. Um, and and so it'll be interesting to see how we do. But we, we should win, we should be comfortable. And just on the, the commentator's point there, I totally agree. As I said before the game, we should have three at the back, three centre-halves because of the amount of times they've scored for crosses. I understand why he didn't. At one nil, but it got to two nil. You think, right? You maybe a bit more cautious here, but look, that's why I'm sitting here. And Brendan Rogers is getting paid a hundred grand a week to manage Celtic, so he knows better than me, and I'm sure he'll prove that on Sunday when we beat Aberdeen. So the point being, Brian, it's a lot easier to flick back to that that uh, position of of strength and attack. Not so easy to change it for the European side of things. Aye, so it's the, it's the reverse of that, that that's causing us problems, isn't it? Um, listen. As Sean said earlier on, we could have spent the whole hour talking about the state of Scottish football. We could have probably spoken about the whole, uh, the whole, the whole hour spent, the whole hour speaking about the Green Brigade. Uh, we've got a game coming up on Sunday, and we'll be covering that game half an hour before kickoff. Come and join us. Uh, what we've also done, uh, we were itching to do this during the pandemic, like everybody else. We, we wanted to get out there and get on the road and and meet Celtic fans and see the white of your eyes and all that. And we've been doing it throughout 2023. There is a gig coming up in December with Yuan uh, Mialbe. It's a, a pub gig at Don Max. But come 2024, we're, we're stepping up a few gears. Uh, we're taking it onto the kind of theatre stage. And um, obviously, it's, it's bigger and we want to make it better. And we want to meet as many of you as possible. So the first one we're doing next year is with Martin O'Neill. It's in January 26th and it's in Greenock. Uh, by the way, the venue looks absolutely stunning. Um, what I would say is that tickets have been flying for that, that gig, uh, but we're going to give you a bit more. So when you turn up, obviously you've got the theatre set and the environment's going to be completely different. Um, loads of visuals on the stage. The visuals will drive the conversation. And uh, obviously we've got the musicianship of Paul Sheridan of the Wakes, um, who performed The Glory in the Dream for us this time last year. So that's going to be fantastic. You can get involved with your questions and all that kind of thing as well. But we are taking Axon on the road. It's going to be a bit of a road show. And it's that level of guest and that level of experience that we're going to be providing. So where should we go? We've been speaking to people in New Zealand, Ireland, uh, Spain, uh, and further afield. So where should we take it? Um, first one up is Greenock. Hey, absolutely. Aye, the Swindon Shamrock will come down there. Um, as well, you can get to meet uh, your Axon buddies. Australia, we need to bring it over to Australia as well so we can actually physically meet Sean in person. But uh, ticket links are underneath this particular video. Um, check out the Celtic Down Under boys. You'll find them on the socials. You'll find them on YouTube. And yeah, join us again on Sunday for another match day experience uh, with the Axon crew. Thank you, everybody, for getting involved. 800 strong. I know it's frustrating at the moment, but we'll get through it. We always do. Uh, and the only other thing that I need to say is thank you to Sean Conley and Brian Degnan for joining me on a Celtic State of Mind.
Podcast Network.